This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Last week we talked about to go and anoint. He gets an assignment to go and anoint two kings and then his successor. This is actually one of the most incredible stories in the Old Testament. I enjoy it because there's so much wrapped up in what's going on here. And within this story, I'm going to give you five moves of faith that I think are essential in all of our lives that we see in Elijah and Elisha in this story. The first one is this you do the searching. You do the searching. Remember, Elijah had received the assignment to go and find Elisha and anoint him. But he left the responsibility in Elijah's hands. It says in verse 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha. We have to go and find what it is that God wants us to do. It's not like, hey, I'm going to do everything for you. He might drop something in your heart, give you an assignment. But it's on you to go and find it, to go do the search. It doesn't just fall into your lap. And, lap. and by the way, faith requires movement. Just believing something isn't going to get you what you want. Faith requires movement. Remember the spies that were sent into the land. Israel had been given the opportunity to go into a, what was called the promised land. So they sent spies in to check it out. you got to do the searching. You got a search engine inside of you that you got to use. And so what we see here is Elijah went after it. He had to go looking for this person. It wasn't just brought to him, but he had work to do. And friends, it's that way with church. It's that way with our relationships. It's that way with everything. You aren't just going to have good friends automatically. You got to go find them. You got to reach out. You can't just come to church and think I'm going to get my best friends in the first two weeks that I attend church. Well, nobody would be my friend, so I left. Well, part of that is you. You've got to be friendly. You've got to do the search. You've got to do the work to go get connected to people. You do the work. You do the stepping in. You go and find it. And investment in others requires you taking the first step. So if you're going to be a mentor, if you're going to invest in other people, maybe you're a parent, it's your responsibility to invest in others. Mentors initiate finding mentees. And by the way, we need to learn to gather people before they even know they need to be gathered sometimes. Sometimes, you know, in this particular story, Elisha is on a farm. He's not looking for Elijah. So it required Elijah to go looking for him. There might be people in your story that need you to pull them in. They need you to tap them on the shoulder. They're not just going to jump into church or jump into your relationship. Maybe there are people that are in your story that need to be in a connect group. You might be going, I don't need it. But there might be people in your life or in the sphere of your circle of influence that might need to be connected and might need to be brought into that. And so you do it. You go do it. And friends, I want to tell you, opportunity requires movement for it to become faith. And there is something inside of you because potential is, a, is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift back to God. Potential is God's gift to us. 
What we do with it is our gift back to God. You got potential, but what you do with that potential really is where the, the secret sauce is. That's where faith is found. For Elisha, he's a farmer who was on a farm and in that agrarian culture and that society of those days, you became what your parents did. If your dad was a plumber, guess what you were gonna be? A plumber. Whatever your parents did, you stayed in the family business. You didn't have any other dreams. It didn't matter what your talents were or how you thought, you were gonna do what everybody else in your family did. So in this particular story, Elisha is a farmer, and this is all he could ever anticipate becoming. And without hope, without any change, he's just stuck. He's not gonna move anywhere. And without Elijah, the potential in Elisha would stay on the farm. You do the searching. Say that with me. You do the searching. You gotta go search, you gotta go reach, and in your own story, you've gotta go tap potential become a reality when you step into it. You do something with it. Secondly, pass your cloak. Pass your cloak. Look at what he says. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. What is going on here? Well, Elijah had his cloak. Now, it wasn't like this, but it could have been his everyday garment that he wore with him. But it represented something. It re represented who Elijah was. It represented what he did, but it also represented the accumulation of who he was. Being faithful in season and out. Elijah wasn't always popular. I don't think he was very popular when he prayed that the rain would stop. And it stopped for three and a half years. I mean, no, he probably wasn't like America's most liked person. So he had learned to listen to the voice of God and stay steady throughout a lifetime. This wasn't just a cloak like a title. This wasn't like, uh, like he became, this was his Santa Claus suit and somebody else would jump into the Santa Claus suit. This was something that he developed over time and God had used him. So when he walked along, when Elijah walked up to Elisha and he passed a cloak, it was a symbol of his authority, of his anointing, of everything that he was. And he passed it off. Elisha knew it. Elisha knew that this symbolized the office of the prophet. And he knew that this was important. I want you to consider what you pass off. What do you give, for example, if you're a parent, you have a cloak, and you are passing that cloak off to your kids. What are they getting? They get every part of who you are. Did you know kids don't get just what we tell them? Kids also receive who we are, the essence of who we are. They receive the unspoken thing, the patterns of life, what we do with our time, our attitudes. The kids receive that. And we have a cloak that we will pass off. He says, he walks over to him and he passes the cloak across his shoulders and he walks away. And friends, I want you to know that the cloak has double value, what you're doing now and what you're passing off to those who God has called you to lead. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul addresses this in a very unique way. When you say a cloak, you're trying to get into my understanding. You're like, Pastor Nate, where are you going with this? I want you to look at Colossians chapter three with me. In Colossians chapter three, verse eight, it says this, but now is the time to get rid of anger 
rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Then it says this, put on. Everybody said put on. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. This is what he's saying, in a sense. Take off or put off the grave clothes of sin in your old life and put on the grace clothes of holiness in your new life in Christ. It's as if you're going to the closet in the morning and you're deciding what you're gonna wear. Am I gonna put on my old grave clothes? Am I gonna put on what I used to be, the old story? Or am I gonna put on the new, the new things that God wants me to have? Am I gonna put on my new identity in Jesus? And that's not an, that's not an easy, quick thing. And as a matter of fact, following Jesus is a long journey. We might be used to being angry or being wearing old attitudes, but we have to learn to put on the new ones. And that's what Paul was saying here. In fact, he essentially gives eight graces or eight grace clothes to put on. Look at that in Colossians 3. He says, put on tender mercy. Put that on. Put on kindness. Put that on. If you're not known as somebody who's kind, you can put it on in Jesus. Amen? Put on humility. That's recognizing who you are without Jesus. But because he stepped in, you're humbled by the fact that he loves you and he's made you new and he's called you to be a daughter or a son of heaven. Put on gentleness or because gentleness isn't weakness, it's strength under control. It's the difference between wind that can blow down a building and wind that is harnessed with a windmill for, for power. It's strength under control. Put on patience, he says in verse 12. And patience, how many, let's be honest, we struggle with patience. But we need to learn to put that on. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Put on allowance for others' faults. The language of holding back from what you could unload on somebody. Has anybody ever ticked you off and you went off on them? You know, in Jesus, you can put on some different clothes than that. You don't have to take people out just because they tick you off. He says, put on forgiveness and then finally put on love. And love is like the belt that pulls it all together. And all of these things are fruits of the Spirit. And so when we live in the Spirit, when we put on different representations, it replaces our old wardrobe. The clothes we used to wear, we're different. The old is gone, Paul says in another uh, chapter of another book. He says, the old is gone and the new has come. Let's take on the new stuff. Here's the point, okay? And, and this is the point from Elijah's perspective in the story. Elijah is giving away whatever he's been taking on. Whatever he has become is what's being given away. And you give away who you are, not just what you say. 
And friends, we have a responsibility to give that away. And third thing is to receive the new. Now, this is from Elisha's perspective. But the mantle represented change in Elisha's future. There was a new vision around the corner. There was something that was going to be different in his story. Elisha was working his desk job, and Elijah walks up to him, essentially, and the job, and, and how he essentially interrupts the regularly scheduled program and says, consider what I have done to you. Well, what did he do to him? He was saying, I'm going to give you a different future. As you go back to the farm and you say goodbye to your family and give a proper goodbye, and you turn and you begin to follow, remember, you're going to become me, essentially. There's a different future. Now, it wasn't necessarily a better future from natural eyes because it involved sacrifice. Yes, it was prominence and it was popularity or people knew about him. But Elisha was not in a bad place. In fact, it says in the text that there were 12 pair of oxen. It's a kind of a narrator's way of saying that this is a wealthy farm. He had a lot of oxen and he was only with one of the pair. And so this is a guy that had a lot of stuff and you know what, in this moment, Elijah was saying, remember, you're chasing something else. There, there's, a, there's a pull. Your identity is not in what you own, in the stuff that you have, or where you're at. It's in something grander. Having more to live with is no substitute for having more to live for. It's as if people are living for the image of stuff and what other people say about them. Well, I think there's something about our life now, in our stories, where it's all about the image of what other people see. And we can find ourselves chasing other people's approval and miss out on the grander purposes that God has for us. Who cares what anybody thinks about us if we've got the love of Jesus in our life? If we know that we're secure in him, we can risk looking bad. I'm not saying show up at church and look like a scrub. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, do your hair, take a shower, come on somebody, put some deodorant on, you know, wear your stuff, show it. But I'm saying you're not living for the approval of other people. And for Elijah, he had to move beyond that. And I believe what God will do is God will give you a preview of something beyond you, a glimpse, like a preview of a future movie. God will drop a new thing on you. Elisha in this story, had thought that he would always be on the farm. But God was giving him a new vision, and it was an interruption from, with Elijah the prophet throwing that mantle, that cloak on his shoulders. He was saying, there's a different picture in your story. And let me just say this to you, church. My dream for you, whether you're one week in or you've been serving Jesus for 30 years, is that God would continually drop new visions on your life. New things that compel you to move forward. There's something that happens. There's a lethargy that can kind of seep itself into our stories of faith. That once we, you know, when we first get saved, everything is new. When we first give our lives to Christ, we're hungry and we're searching for new things. We want to know how to follow Jesus. We want to know what the word says. We think everybody should know about Jesus. But then the longer we're in the faith, and we've got a circle of friends that are all Christians, and we're attending church for several years, pretty soon we forget, 
And now we begin to live on our own farm of the present, and we're no longer being tugged into the future that God has called for us. Don't get caught up into any farm that you live in. Let God begin to interrupt you with a new vision for your story in the future. Let me get practical about this. I think that God wants to speak to people, no matter what decade of life that you're in, you're a teenager, you're all the way into your 80s or 90s. It doesn't matter what season, a single or married, or parents or grandparents, or you don't have any kids, or you're in school or you're in career. It doesn't matter what season of life that you're in. You and I can have a vision dropped in our heart in practical ways in four areas of our life. Our spiritual life, our physical life, our relationships, and the responsibilities that we're here for. Let me talk about those four things real quick. I think that God wants to drop a dream in your spiritual life for things in the future. Do you want to pray more effectively? Do you want to see more people one to Christ in your story? Do you want to have a hunger for God in your life that is exhibited in your hunger for the word? Is there a desire that God would drop on you for more of the spiritual gifts? That you're not immature and only drinking milk, but God would take you on to deeper things? Is there something that, and friends, I'm telling you this, God, nobody is beyond growing. Let God drop a new vision on your story. In fact, let that question just kind of go in you. Let it go in you and bother you enough to say, am I growing? Do I have a preview of spiritual growth? Is there something compelling me to move forward? Or what about our physical bodies and how, what God wants to do? You know, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whatever happens with our temple impacts other parts of our story. Some people, they go overboard and they worship their temple. They spend too much time on their bodies, right? And then they do that, then what happens? They don't have enough time to hear what God wants them to do in other areas of their story. There's a balance to this. The other end of the pendulum are people that don't really care. And they're just letting their, their temple go to waste. We're responsible for our temple. So what would God drop in a dream? What if you could kind of up your game? What if God dropped a dream in your heart that maybe this next 12 months you could run a 5K? You're like, I'm not a runner, Pastor Nate. What if you could? What if you could go on a journey of having good disciplines with what you eat? What would happen on the other side of it? I'm, I'm just saying this. When you have a dream for something, it influences what you discipline yourself to do. If you have no dream, you have no discipline. Or what about your relationships? Do you wanna grow in your relationship with your spouse or with your kids or with people that are in your story? Something that could grow? Is there anything pulling you forward with optimism that you're gonna leave the farm of the present? Is there something that can take you further? Or how about the things you're responsible for, the resources? that God has given you, whether in your business or with your finances, what are you doing with those things? You know, you can't overcome credit card debt. You can do things. If there's a dream in your heart, God can put it in there, and there can be a different picture in the future. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we, what? What we hope for. If we are living in faith, there has to be a hope. If I'm here, 
There has to be some reason for me to go forward. I've got to have a hope. What is your hope? Do you have a hope and a desire and a dream for something to happen? What what is your hope? What is your hope? Because listen, faith can't operate without hope. Faith is the thing that needs hope in order to tug you forward. If you're not in a place of hope, a new picture, a new dream, developing in your soul for any area of your life, you won't take steps. Because the second part of faith is learning to take a step. I want you to think of my shoes, okay, my feet. Wherever my shoes or my feet go, that's where the rest of my body goes. I'm not going to take a step of faith towards nothing. Sometimes we get stuck in circles and don't move forward in our life and nothing ever changes because we aren't thinking about where God is leading us. But once we do, then we need to take a step in that direction. Everybody said take a step. You and I aren't in faith until we take a step towards whatever it is that God is calling us to do. To have faith requires two things. It requires setting targets or goals, knowing where you're going. I encourage you as a person of faith to write down what you think God wants you to do next. And secondly, taking steps of faith um, towards your goal. It takes that. You have to take steps of faith to do your goal. You gotta take a step. If you don't take a step into it, you're not moving in faith, okay? To have faith, it's a movement of faith. You gotta do that. Fourth, the fourth big thing in the move of faith is this. Deal with anything that will pull you back. Deal with anything that will pull you back. Remember in verse 20, Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back but think about what I have done to you. In other words, Elisha was saying, I know I need to deal with things so that I can go. I'm coming, I will go but I need to go back and give a proper goodbye to my parents and I need to leave nothing for me to go back to. And then it says in verse 21, so Elisha returned to his oxen, slaughtered them, and he used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. What did Elisha do and why did he go back? The reason he went back to the farm and killed the oxen. I'd like to suggest to you is he needed to deal with things that would have pulled him back. And the oxen, there was a relationship. When you're a farmer, those animals that you nurture and take care of are your living. You, he spent more time with Bob and Billy, the oxen, whatever their names were. He spent more time with them every day than he did the rest of the people in his life. They were important to him. He nurtured them. Perhaps you've had a pet you've named or whatever. So Elisha had a relationship there. And I think that even in our own lives, there are people and relationships that if we're gonna chase where God is leading us, we need to deal with the relationships that would pull us back. Triggers that would pull us back in. Friends are like elevators. They can take you up and they can take you down. And when you're chasing God, it's inevitable that low points of your story or when you're not liking the, where you're at or you're not liking the discipline that you're in. For Elisha, 
he was on a long journey of being discipled under Elijah. He would not take Elijah's place right away. It would take months and years of serving under him, being behind the scenes. And somewhere along the line, it might get lonely. And when it gets lonely, he might wanna go back to the farm, get back to Billy and Bob, right? Get back to those relationships. And since I would say to you and I, we need to learn to deal with our relationships. There might be people that are in your story that you might need to, to back away from. That you, can't, you can't cut all family out of your life, but you can reduce the, the amount of control that your family has over you. You can address boundaries and put boundaries up that prevent you from being sucked into other conversations. You might have friends that you once went drinking with or partying with that you know if you get with them again, they're, they're gonna pull, you're gonna wanna go back to the farm. It'll take you back into your life before Jesus or before the vision that God put in your place and you just can't go there. And I'm telling you this, you show me your friends and I will show you your future. So you gotta deal with your friends, you gotta deal with those things that would control you and pull you back. Yet the second thing, and by the way, he had in his own self, Elisha had to say, I'm not going back. Everybody say that with me, I'm not going back. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not going back. There has to be resolve enough that you'll deal with the things that would pull you back. The second thing is this, burn the plow. Why did he burn the plow? The plow was the instrument that went into the ground that was a source of income. Even if Billy and Bob died, he could replace Billy and Bob. But that plow was the secret to success for the money of their family. So he had to deal with the plow. These are the physical, natural things that influence us that he could not go back for. Number five. Keep your eyes on the sky. Keep your eyes on the sky. Keep your eyes on the sky. Elijah went and mentored Elisha for the next number of years. And Elijah has ended up being ascended into heaven. And one of the things about Jesus is it says that Jesus is going to return again in the scripture. That Jesus ascended and we need to be looking for him on his return. And believers need to not get so preoccupied. We need to not get caught up in just the stuff that we own or the striving to keep up with other people. And remember that Jesus is still coming back for you and me. You can ask questions and request prayer on our contact page on emmanuelcc.org. Do so anytime. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.